When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. I hope something you hear today encourages you. One of the great ironies of modern church life that always reminds me of how the Christian church always exists in a historical context, in a context of real life as we see it around us, is the fact that there is nothing in the New Testament well, really nothing about the desperation of churches not having enough people. It is um, (laughs) just remarkable that so much of the New Testament, or really all of it, and I, I can't really think of any example where the kind of desperation that we hear about church decline and not enough people volunteering and other things like that, um, that scenario just simply does not exist in the New Testament. And for a lot of reasons, it's a different time, different place, different moment in history, for sure, pre-television, so there's very little competition. Even in my lifetime, you can see the rise of better TV, better options, more stuff to do on Sundays as being part of that church decline, or the less... The, the less there's less of a need today for people to be in church um, for their social situation. You can have a life and not be a member of a church um, now. And there are times and places in American history and world history where in some places that just wasn't true. To be part of society, you had to be part of a church. And in some places, attendance was required. We forget that in the times where... Um, we see as big successes in church history where the churches were packed. Those were often times where, at the very least, children were required to attend with their parents. And then, of course, um, there's other times where even the parents were required to attend. <clears throat> and now we lament the, the decline and we do what we can to get people to come to church. I'm a church planter, which means my job is to gather people to worship the one true and living God, to share in communion and to to share in life together. Um, That is not an easy thing for me in this time and place in life, but I do it knowing that God has called me to this and empowered the people for this, not just me, but God has empowered people for this. But when we get to the story in Luke 14, now large crowds were traveling with Jesus and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then he says you have to count the cost. If you were going to build a tower, you need to know if you have enough money to finish it. If you're going to fight a war, you need to know if you have enough troops to to win. Um, This is just basic human life. And reading this through the lens of church decline and desperation is strange because Jesus has a large crowd following him, a large crowd. We're talking thousands of people. They're traveling with him. They have decided to 
be part of his movement, part of his teaching ministry, part of his community. They're sharing life together. They're doing it. This is what we want in the modern church. We're like, man, if we just had this, thousands of people clamoring for church, we'd build a bigger building. We'd have better facilities. We would work that. Right now, we have, in many places, big facilities, but not the people. And we worry and we wonder. But here, Jesus has the big crowd, and he tries to thin it down. He tries to get them to go away. And what does he say to him? He goes to the heart of the biological family. He attacks that relationship or the strength and reliance on that relationship. He says, you have to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, and even life itself, or I think your own life itself. We don't want people hating themselves, hating. But this is what Jesus says. What he's saying is that when you set your mind and heart and body and life and possessions and everything you have and everything that you are to follow Jesus, all of these relationships are going to feel that hatred. All of life is a choice between one and the other. Um, Loving people in the abstract is kind of worthless. Um, Loving people in the concrete is what matters. There's that old joke about the vicar who would always have long flowery sermons about how much children were a reflection of God's love and how he loved children. And we ought to love children too because they teach us so much about how to live life. And just as Jesus said, let the little children come to me and for such is the kingdom of God. And one day the uh, church had some repairs done to build a handicap ramp and they replaced the sidewalk and they had poured the concrete. And he came out in the morning on Saturday with his cup of coffee and he looked over at the church and he saw there was a bunch of kids putting handprints in the sidewalk, writing their names on the sidewalk. And he screamed at him and said, "Get!" Uh, you know, he cursed at him and screamed at him and yelled at him and kids ran away. And his wife came out and said, honey, you can't yell at kids like that. You, you love children. I've heard your sermons. You love children. And the vicar said, yes, I love children in the abstract, but not in the concrete. Anyway, old joke, but the idea that loving people in the abstract is kind of pointless. Um, when we have to make choices in life, what we're going to do with our life, the one life we have, um, Sometimes that's going to mean we follow Jesus instead of following these other people and what they want for us. Now, this is hard for me to to stomach in some ways because um, so much of my spiritual life is learning to live in harmony with my father, my mother, my wife, my children, my brothers, my sisters, yes, and my own self too. I've not always gotten along with myself. I don't know if you have had conflict with yourself too, but... Um, those are trub- those that can be those are troubling relationships sometimes, and a lot of our spiritual life is trying to create harmony. We do have seminars on how to get along with your mother and father, and certainly lots of work on marriage, lots of work, many books about children and even siblings and and ourselves, like that relationship with ourselves. But what Jesus is saying is that when you voluntarily follow Jesus, when you take up your cross and follow Him dying to self, saying, God, 
My life is yours. All that I am and all that I have is yours. And I want to follow you. I want to love. I want to be a loving person. I want to be a healing person. I want to be a listening person. I want to be a self-sacrificing person. When we say that, it, is, it has to be a voluntary decision. <clears throat> and most of our experiences with self-sacrifice are other people telling us what to sacrifice. I think this is the big distinction for Christians, especially grown-up Christians. We are often called to sacrifice for our country, and we join the military. There is that initial volunteering, which is somewhat free. I don't know. I needed health insurance, one of the biggest reasons I joined the Army um, at the time that I did, or I was worried about college finances. Or, you know, is that a really a free choice all the time? Not always. And then once you join, the freedom of choice really goes away. You don't really have a choice of sacrifice after that. Um, But in following Jesus, you always have that choice. It's not really following Jesus if it's not completely voluntary. Jesus knew this himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, that was a real choice that he made. And he wrestled with it and he struggled with it. He struggled with it on other nights too. And following Jesus, you're going to struggle with it. You're going to look into the night sky and feel alone and say, is this what you want me to do, God? Is this what you want? This feels really terrible. feels like it might be really bad, but I'll trust you. I'll trust you with what you want for my life of the self-sacrifice. It has to be a real choice. It has to be your real choice. If it's not your real choice, it's not following Jesus. And the example that is given here in the book of Philemon, Philemon, however you pronounce that, is that Paul, in his all his apostolic authority, he wants to send Onesimus, this escaped enslaved person, back to his master, who is a Christian. And now Onesimus is a Christian. And Paul does not appeal to his authority as an apostle. He does not appeal to somehow standing in the place of Jesus. He appeals to him as a brother in Christ, a brother of Onesimus and a brother of Philemon. He appeals to him saying, I'll pay his debts, whatever he owes you, that if you accept me, you should accept him. He appeals to love and he appeals to Philemon's choice in the matter. And Onesimus' choice, too. All of this is about their consent. He says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent. This is a guy 2,000 years ago talking about consent. That ought to be a lesson to us today. That we look at relationships. We look at um, our work situations. We look at all the things in our life that cause us stress and worry and wonder. um, That... At the heart of all this is the ability to choose, the ability to consent, the ability to feel like you can be yourself in those situations. This is what God has always been wanting God's children to do. God has wanted us to feel confident that when we're following Jesus, when we're doing what is right, that it's our choice. We're not doing it because someone made us do it. It's a totally different way to live. I want you to embrace that.
Um, you might call this stopping in the middle of the road. Um, there was a teacher many years ago that I had, and I think he got it from another teacher, so I, I can't really track down the source. But he said, if you're not enjoying something, stop. Even if you're walking across the street, stop in the middle of the road and wait until you can enjoy it. That's kind of weird advice. But if you try that, you'll actually find that all of the things you start doing are things that you have decided to do. Um, we live so much of our lives coerced by other people. And often it's our image of them that coerces us or our expectations for ourselves or misplaced fear or projection on them from some childhood wound or whatever it is. Um, we do this, we live this way with outsized fears of what could happen to us. Um, when in fact, following Jesus means that we are not afraid of anyone. We are not afraid. When we do what we do, we are doing it freely with our own choice, with our own will. Because ultimately that is God's will, is to be so aligned with our will that those things are just interchangeable. Jesus lived that way. Because God has made us. He is the potter and we are the clay. He's molded us. He's made us. Ultimately, when we really get down to our free choice, uncoerced, unencumbered, unbegrudged or unguilt-tripped and all those things that people put on us and society puts on us and the shame of all that, when we really get down to what we want to do, that is ultimately God's will too. As Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is to will one thing. Most of us will like five things at once or two things at once. A double-minded man, the book of James says, is unstable in all his ways. We want good things and we want bad things. We want self-destructive things and we want life of singularity and purpose. Um, we want a lot of different things at once. But if we boil it down to just one thing, usually that one thing, and almost 100% of the time, that one thing is a really good thing. And that's where God wants us to be, to want one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Amen. Grant us, O Lord, to trust in you with all our hearts. For as you always resist the proud who confide in their own strength, so you never forsake those who make their boast of your mercy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.